This is a CC Radio podcast. Welcome along, good people, to you, Sam's turn to this bonus episode of the Countdown and Movie Reviews in 20Q's podcast. My name is Paul, which half of you hopefully will be familiar with, and joining me is all the, Sam, all the way from New Zealand. How are you, Sam? I'm doing good, Paul. I'd like to thank you for bringing me on this episode and counting down 10 horror films. I'm glad you've swapped one foul-mouthed bald man for another, but uh, yeah, very happy to be here. And hello to the Countdown listening group. Yeah, so this was Sam's suggestion that we get together to do which this bonus episode this particular month, which we're trying to release a bonus one every month. Uh, having had a lot of fun last month where we did that big crossover sort of debate of It Chapter 2. And Sam knows Wayne very well that Wayne hates horror films. And <laughs> he also correctly guessed that we'll be doing a, a series of episodes towards the end of the year of the best of the decade. So my original plan was, you know, comedies and action films and sci-fi thriller whatever and then a horror list and I was going to make Wayne do it but uh, as you said Sam that would be a pretty shitty episode because apart from laughing at how piss poor Wayne's choices were uh, he wouldn't get into it that much and there'd be a lot of whinging and moaning behind the scenes and I wouldn't have to deal with that so what a much better idea to have on yourself to discuss a, a fellow horror movie fan to discuss the best horror films of 2010s all the way from 2010 to the current day, which is just about the end of 2019. I don't see much on the horizon that could displace much on my list. Mm, same. I'm very much in that very much in that camp as well. I've been over my list a couple of times. Fortunately, there's one or two films I haven't managed to get to this year due to a recent arrival in our family. But, <laughs> lame, uh, lame excuse. Lame excuse. Very <laughs> lame excuse. But uh, yeah, I've, I've managed to catch up on a lot of the horror films that have come out recently and... Tracked back over a couple of the older ones, and I'm, I'm really happy with my list. Really, really happy. Well, I'm less happy because my 10 in particular, my 9 and 10 could be swapped out by any of the honourable mentions on my list. <laughs> and I really a- agonised over this, and we were talking off mic that I, in a desperate attempt last night, about midnight before recording today, I tried to get a couple of epi- oh, episodes, a couple of films downloaded to re-watch to kind of really solidify my list. Unfortunately, the internet was playing up in this part of the world. It took forever to download them, so... I uh, fell asleep on the couch whilst waiting, and so here we are. I've just had to go with my gut on on my choices. Oh, I'm I'm with you though, man. Like I'm happy now, but I can imagine five minutes after this podcast finishes, I would love to change the last four or five. <laughs> I'm in that point as well. <laughs> All right, good. So in a similar wavelength there. Anything else about your list? I mean, obviously the parameters are pretty obvious, Sam. Anything special about it, generally speaking, or how you went about making the list? Well, you say that, but I got really sort of picky on my list because I I looked at it and I was like, I just want to put in 10 horror films so that when you look at that film, you see nothing, well, you see mostly a horror film. So there's a a New Zealand comedy horror film that is Mm. um, way more of a comedy than a horror film. That probably would have come up near the top of my list. I've left that out. There's another Canadian uh, horror comedy that I probably would have put in there as well. Haven't. And then there's a couple of other films. Like there's a there's a very big sci-fi horror film that I've left off that is pissing me off. But I have left it off because I just wanted to give the listeners just 10 real horror movies. Right, so you really went straight hardcore horror. Uh, looking at my yep. list, so have I. There's sort of one that might be deemed a bit satirically comic, comedic. 
but uh, the rest are all very straightforward horrors. So, yeah, there's another one sort of a little bit comedic as well, but no, but basically they are horrors. So I, I'm 100% agree with you there. Do you want to mention the ones that you left off then now, or do you want to wait for honorable mentions? <laughs> well, now that you're sort of on the same wavelength as me, yeah, I mean, what we do in the shadows is obviously a classic New Zealand yeah. film. It's also partially a horror film. Uh, the other one I was alluding to is Tale and, uh, Dale and Tucker vs. Evil. Okay. Tucker and Dale. Yep. I, I, you know, it's it blends the two genres too well that I thought, eh, I can't really include it. That's another film I've got a lot of love for. And then, uh, yeah, finally, Annihilation. Now, Annihilation, I would class as a sci-fi yeah, horror, but I, I think it's sci-fi too much first. of a sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. I would agree on all three of those, especially what we do in The Shadows. For me, if we did a top, when we do a top 10 comedies of the year, that will may well, fe- of the year, sorry, of the 2010s, that may well feature on my list there. I, I don't consider that really a horror at all. The other two, good choices to leave them off because I 100% agree on those as well. Nice. All right. Well, in that case, let's get into it, Sam. And I'll throw it to you first. What is your number 10 best horror film of the 2010s? It's funny. My confidence in my list has already wavered. I'm now looking at it and I'm like, oh, that's right. I put that there. But this is a horror film that I literally had never heard of, read it on a list of like top 10 horror films the last 10 years that you check out, thought to myself... Eh, I, I don't know. I don't really know about Emil Hirsch. Brian Cox is an all right actor. Uh, is this film going to be any good? Fuck it, I'll check it out. And it was incredibly haunting. The film is The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Oh, yeah. Yep, that's a good indie one. It is a great indie one. Uh, for people who haven't seen it, it's about a father and son who are coroners who investigate the death of a beautiful corpse. And, uh, yeah, that's all I want to leave it at because there's a lot of stuff that happens. The film unravels and, you know, not everything is what it seems sort of thing. And I think if you haven't seen it, you're a fan of horror. It's something that's worth checking out. Yep. No arguments there. I think it's reason it didn't hit my list, although it was in the early runnings. It would be in my top 20, is that the last act falls apart a little bit and can't really talk about why without giving spoilers away. But the first two acts are incredibly moody and atmospheric and legitimately scary. And I think that's really important thing to to emphasize. There are some really great sort of build-up moments of dread and fear. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that part. Had it stuck the landing, it would absolutely be high on this list. So yeah, yeah, good choice. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, I mean, it's a common thread for most horror films is that how well they actually build the suspense and lead you to that ending. And not a lot of horror films all, you know, typically hit that ending. But yeah, for me, you're right. Like this is why it's 10th. You got it. Nailed it. All right. Well, that's a pretty good choice. My number 10 is going to be controversial probably just like my number nine and eight to be honest once we get seven and above no one's going to argue with my list my number 10 i'd almost pull a cheat if i could i would include both of these anthology films but if i have to get limited down to the one pick i'm going to roll with the sequel over the original and that's vhs 2 from 2013 have you seen this one yeah that's a solid choice there mate and the reason why is i i liked the first vhs uh, but I think the the quality of tales in this anthology are better than the original one. And it includes, of course, one of the best short horror films I can recall ever seeing, let alone the 2010s. And that's the third entry in this particular film called Safe Haven. And it comes from two directors who I really dig in the action genre, Timo Chashahento and Gareth Evans. <laughs> the guys nice. who directed, of course, The Raid and... Uh, the Night Comes for Us, which was a, a kick-ass Netflix, really bloody action horror flick, not horror, action flick last year. Uh, and this is a, an amazing short film, which, if you haven't seen the VHS series, they're all point of view, basically, in one way or, or another. Uh, found footage, 
uh, videos that depict some supernatural gory event where people sort of die pretty horribly. And in this particular one, it's a it's a set in Indonesia and a film crew goes in to film this cult and do a documentary about their mysterious activities and things go to hell in a handbasket when this cult raises this <laughs> demon. It is so inventive. It's so good. It's so well shot. It's just... It just proves how much of a talent Gareth Evans is, and he does explore his horror sensibilities in. Don't reckon this will make your list, so I'll mention it. Apostle, which was a film late last year on Netflix, which isn't bad, just not quite as good as his other stuff. Yeah, yeah, I've seen seen Apostle. It's it's you know it's it's good entry, but it's not yeah it's definitely not top ten or twenty for me. But yeah, yeah, the other stories are all pretty good here. There's a one where someone gets bitten by a zombie, and and he's got a GoPro on, so it's him staggering through this forest and <laughs> eating other people. Uh, there's an alien abduction one, which is probably my least favourite of the lot. But And the, the wraparound story is pretty good as well in these these two films. And the first one also has an outstanding entry as well. But overall, VHS 2 for me is my number 10. Nice. Awesome. Cool. And that moves me over to my number 9. Now, I watched the director's follow-up today to see if that would absurd this one from my list, but it didn't. I'm going to go with Ari Aster's debut film, Hereditary. Yes, yep, it's on my list as well, so we'll see how high it goes. (laughs) Awesome, if you haven't seen Hereditary, it's basically uh, the grandmother passes away and then her daughter and grandchildren begin to sort of unravel these cryptic and sort of terrifying secrets, is the best way to to describe it, about their ancestry. And then sort of try to outrun their future. Ah, I'm trying to trying to elude around the plot without giving too much away in case anyone hasn't seen Hereditary. I think the biggest selling point of this is the performance by Tony Collette. How she didn't get nominated for an Oscar for lead actress, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. Um, and for a debut film as well, the guy is phenomenal in that he just broods the sense of fear throughout the entirety of the film that culminates in its conclusion and this is one of the films that i think really nailed its ending uh and there's also some twists throughout it that i mean i don't want to give spoilers away there's there's a massive twist halfway through the film that you just don't see coming at all and that was that was the point for me where i was like holy shit this is actually a work of genius yeah i know exactly the moment you're referring to and couldn't agree more this film marmite film the british would say uh, it's a mm. love it or hate it type thing and obviously we fall on the same side of the ledger some people hate the slow pace and they hate the direction the film goes in particularly in the last sort of 40 minutes give or take the last act but for me it was a perfect culmination of what had come before it what starts out as this real study of grief and how people can get screwed up by it and it builds upon itself in terms of the layers and the like gives way to this really batshit insane stuff that happens and that lost some people but for me Mm, it worked mm. like you very very well and you mentioned tony collette who is phenomenal but i also want to give a big shout out to alex wolf as son peter oh absolutely he's awesome in this there's a couple of scenes which require him to absolutely nail his moment and does he ever and ariaster's he's got this style of not cutting He, he will hold a shot and it must be really difficult to act knowing that you've got to stay in that space for that extra length of time. And, and Alex Wolf like Tony Collette, and not to say Gabriel Burns any, any slouch in this movie, but those two for me really carried it over the line to be the sensational film that it is. Oh, I absolutely agree. Here's where you, people might argue. My number nine is a film which I loved when I watched it. I thought it was heaps of fun, some great kills, really bloody and gory. There's a bit of comedy in there as well because it's a little bit of a, a satirical sort of over-the-top take of what happens in the office. But for some reason, most people thought this was a, a real average piece of shit. And to this day, I still can't work it out. It is called The Belko Experiment from Australian director Greg McLean. 
Have you seen oh, it? Oh, I was waiting for a point to rip into you on one of these films. Here we go. Th- that was my number 11. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to hate on it. Because um, no, a lot no, of people do. I mean, this, is, this is totally not a Wayne and Paul podcast. This is two guys with the same similarities. Yeah. The same well, feelings about film. It's a great film, but continue, man. Yeah, it's, I don't understand. It's written by James Gunn. So it's got that, it's that real sort of comedic sensibility to this awful situation where this American company in Bogota suddenly shuts down all the... The storm shutter windows come down and they lock everybody in the building and they're basically told by this voice over that they have to start killing each other off. And if they don't, randoms of them will, will die. And they're like, well, what are they talking about? Turns out they've all got this uh, thing implanted in that they will automatically kill them if they don't. It's, it's batshit insane. The, the cast is not bad. John Gallagher Jr., Tony Goldwyn. Do you remember Tony Goldwyn is the bad guy in Ghost? Yep. And I've always had a, a sort of soft spot for him because he doesn't look like a bad guy, but he always ends up playing one. John C. McGinley, Dr. Cox from Scrubs is in it. Michael Rooker, of course, because if James Gunn has anything to do with the movie, Michael Rooker pops up. Greg exactly. Henry as well. Like this film, it pokes fun at all the sort of office cliches. And if you've worked in an office, you'll pick up at least <laughs> a bunch of them. And then people die in ways that you don't expect. And, and it kind of tracks down to, the, to an end point that also you don't really expect. So I dug the shit out of it. Made my top 10 of 2017, I think, by the time it was released out this way. Yeah, so... The Belko Experiment. If you haven't seen it, give it a shot. For some reason, yeah. you may hate it, but not me. But what about you? What did you like about it? Oh, it's just like there's other films out there, which is like the you've got to kill everyone and be the last one left. You know, like Battle Royale is the first one that springs to mind, Hunger mm-hmm. Games, all that sort of stuff. And it's, so it's almost a well-worn trope, but putting it in an office and then having the sort of alluded to that there's outside forces preying on them and all this other shit, like it sort of adds this other sense of like what the hell is going on. And especially as it leads towards the end, that becomes more and more prevalent of like, well, who's actually doing this to them and why would they be doing them to them and, you know, and that sort of stuff. And, I, yeah, it's just just an, it's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, I'm an office worker. I, you know, we've all daydreamed about killing everyone we know in the office. <laughs> we all have those days. And it's it's almost like living out that fantasy of like, you know, no way, fucking way in hell am I ever going to murder anyone. But at the same time, you watch that and you appreciate it, if, you know, for what it is, basically. Yeah, well, that's a bit disturbing. Uh, I'm happy I don't work <laughs> in the same office as you and take note all of Sam's office. That was my <laughs> previous <laughs> job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, all right, great. That's my number nine. Belco Experiment, over to you for number eight. Uh, my number eight is another film that I thought everyone liked this. I thought horror fans were a big, you know, really enjoyed this. I thought everyone liked it. And then I saw its scores on IMDb as well as some of the reviews aren't as high as I expected. It is the film Hush. It's a Blumhouse oh, production. Okay. Yep, Blumhouse Productions, starring Kate Siegel, who actually uh, wrote it, in which she plays a deaf writer who's just basically hanging out in a house and then gets terrorized by a psychopath. Now, it's quite short. It's very simplistic in what it is. There's no convoluted explanation as to why that guy's stalking her or anything like that. And it's just one woman's survival. Now, the thing that I like the most about this is that, spoil it towards the ending or whatever, but... She's basically got this writer's brain where she can see seven different endings for how things are going to progress. And then she, you know, sort of starts employing that towards the end when she's like nearing her death. She starts thinking to herself, what's the best way for me to survive, to kill this guy? And then, you know, basically stay alive long enough for help to arrive. And that was the moment that would sort of like really sold me on it. And I was like, holy shit, like this is actually quite legit. This is actually quite a good film. I rewatched it recently because I remember loving it the first time I watched it, but I was also quite inebriated the first time I watched it. <laughs> so I typically watch horror movies every Friday night, and I typically go out and have a few beers and come home, check a horror movie on, and go to sleep, sort of thing. And so I rewatched it recently with Stacey. Stacey absolutely hated it. Stacey's my wife, everyone. Absolutely hated it. And that made me think, okay, this is a really good film. 
All right, that, that's the final the final tick. If Stacey hates it, it must be a good horror film. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I liked it. I didn't love it that much. I don't know if, if I got a bit of the hype. Uh, as you said, some people really dug this movie. I think it's another one of those Marmite movies. And some people were like, eh, it's boring and not much happens and whoop-de-doo, she can't hear. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I was actually somewhere in the middle. I, I dug the premise. Thought I could have used a couple extra characters to sort of flesh it out a little bit more. But there are yeah. a couple of great scenes where because of she's deaf and the killer is carrying on doing his thing literally right behind her and, and amazed that she's not reacting. That, there's some fun moments in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Nice. If there's nothing else you want to say about that, I'll give you my number eight. And now here yeah, you can ahead. shit on me because I'm looking at it right now. I just had a quick look. The Rotten Tomatoes score for this film is surprisingly 62%. I thought it was going to be much lower than that. Metacritic will be a lot harsher because we all know that's what Metacritic does. Uh, 50 out of 100. And this is the fifth sequel in a series of films which I enjoy all of them to a greater or lesser extent. I rewatched them all recently and this one arguably is my favourite, even better than the first and I, that's going to cause, cause some shit I think from uh, the horror film fans out there. But I'm talking about Final Destination 5. Oh my god, it's just instantly forgettable. It's like rolled oats or something for breakfast. It's just like, oh I've had that, cool, next. <laughs> Directed by Stephen Quayle, that household name, and written by Eric Hessner. It also has a, an all-star cast. Uh, Tony Todd, David Kochner, <laughs> uh, who you'll recognise as character actor, Emma Bell and Nicholas Diagnosto. Yeah, all those names ring a bell. Look, no one gives a shit about who's in this movie. It's all about the deaths. And the deaths in this film are fan-fucking-tastic. It's, this is the one where they're crossing the bridge and the bridge basically falls apart. And they all get impaled and squished by falling buses and the, what do you call it, support wires snap and cut them in two. It is amazing. And this was back in the day when 3D was was massive. So they released this film in 3D and it's actually a proper 3D transfer. So when I had a 3D TV and a 3D player, this is one of the films that I would use as a reference sort of watch. Like, do you want to see what 3D can do? Here it is. It's Awesome fun. Don't care what you say, Sam. I don't care what anyone else says. (laughs) I had a ball with this movie. And then it all cleverly ties back into the series overall. She's thinking, oh, this is just the same as the first one, basically. Wrong. There's a great late reveal which shows uh, how this this film earns its place in the series. I'll give it that. I'll give it that it's got a good ending. The rest of the film is just like, yeah, okay. Yeah, cool. Whatever. Bye. Yep, and I think a lot of people will be that way, but I had to be true to myself. That was my favorite. Get this. That was my favorite film of 2011. There's not a film I saw in 2011 I liked what? more than that one. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and Sam's madly going to his keyboard to see what else came in 2011. <laughs> well, I, will, I have actually. I will do got, the same. I have a film coming up that was from 2011, and I'm not going to spoil my list, but. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. All right. So from horror films, I'm having a look here. Uh, yep. Can see why I thought that. Just glancing <laughs> down the list. <laughs> All right. There you go. Not going to defend it any further. Final Destination 5 is my number 8. Cool. Excellent. On to my number 7. Now, this is a foreign film, and I say that with tongue-in-cheek because I'm a New Zealander, so pretty much every fucking film's a foreign film for me. <laughs> but I am going to go with the French film from 2016, which is Raw. Now, Ooh. yeah. This one, this one didn't completely wow me the first time I saw it, but there's something about it that just stuck with me. Now, general plot of the film is that this vegetarian uh, sort of girl goes off to university where older sister is basically in some sort of like fraternity type thing. She sort of takes her under her wing and then basically takes her to a hazing type event where she forces this vegetarian girl to eat meat. Now, 
The next logical conclusion from eating meat is that you want to eat human meat. So that is basically what this film is about, is about this young girl who's decided that she wants to become a meat eater and comes up with insanely unusual ways to get that meat. I don't want to spoil the film. It's haunting and it's, yeah, it just sat with me. I was, there was no edgier seat scares, like, you know, sort of clutching behind a pillow type thing. It was just watching it like, what the fuck is going on? In a way that, like, foreign film can do, you know, there's there's no real like tropes or like directions or understandings of how you think the film's going to move. It just moves as it does, and you're just there for the ride, basically. So yeah, I, I I didn't mind it, but I think I got caught up in the hype. Like this was oh, yeah. it's so shocking, and it's going to be so amazing. And so when I watched them, I'm like yeah, yeah, and I can see there's a couple of really uncomfortable, difficult scenes to watch. So it worked on that level, but didn't hang together in a way that I. You know, I can't shit on you for it like you were going to do with Final Destination 5 for me. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it probably wasn't in my reckoning for, for this particular list. That's the, that's the bad thing about that for like horror fans like me and you is we always see some sort of article of like, um, you know, crowd are throwing up in their seats at like screening and shit like that and people are running out crying and people are traumatized and all that sort of shit. I reckon they've just got one person who has some sort of like sickness or disease that basically makes them vomit every half an hour and they wheel that person into a screening and go, here you go, watch this. And of course they're going to throw <laughs> up. Like I, I don't get the explanation. And unfortunately, it, you know, like the second you read that, you're like, holy fuck, I really want to see that. But like I get what you're saying. Once the expectations are high, I went into of tempered expectations because I've seen that so many times before. I was like, I'm just going to go in, see if I enjoy this. And yeah, I did. Absolutely dug the hell out of it. Yeah, I think you're right. Because these kinds of films, they premiere at Venice or Cannes, Cannes or whatever these film festivals <laughs> are that aren't horror film festivals. And so you get some middle-aged, probably elderly person who wanders in not having any idea what they're in for. And... Then they are horrified to see on screen and they, they feel sick or they vomit or they run out of the rooms crying and screaming. And of course, the journalists leap on that as like, oh, great. And the production company or the distributor goes, <laughs> that's free advertising. Run with that. Exactly. Exactly. It's some Karen who watches period dramas yep. starring Colin Firth having sex with Kira Knightley. And that's all she's watched her entire life. And yeah, this just blows your fucking socks off. Yeah. yeah. Raw, I thought this was Downton Abbey, the movie number three. <laughs> exactly. All right, uh, my number seven is where I placed Hereditary. So that's nice. the first crossover on our list. And I wonder if we get too many more. I reckon there's at least a couple more coming. Oh, there absolutely is. Uh, number six, I've got to give some love to an Australians as much as I hate doing it. It's part of <laughs> national identity. I'm sure you can guess the film. It's written director, debut feature, and uh, stars, is it Essie Davis? Is yeah. the mother in The Babadook. This was another film that was incredibly overhyped that I thought to myself, just temper your expectations, just see if you enjoy it. And it's, yeah, it's just like another film, like it stuck with me. Like it's sort of like general plot, single mother is plagued by the death of her husband, you know, is battling with her own demons, but she's also got the son who's just a complete psychopath basically. And it's sort of like a, a character sort of driven piece around her sort of falling apart mentally. And so at the same time, you're wondering if the supernatural elements are actually yep. there or if she's, you know, or if they, if they are actually happening, uh, you know, how is she dealing with them or is it just her mental breakdown and all that sort of stuff. It carefully dances around that to the point that by the time you get to the ending, you're like, I, I don't know which way this is going to go. Yeah. All right. So you're in the majority. This is yes. widely touted, widely touted, especially amongst serious critics as if not the best horror film of the 2010, certainly where you've put it in the top six. Yep. But I don't know what it was. I watched this movie 
and I was like, eh, really? <laughs> oh, no. Re- this is this is what we're being served up here? Yes, it's a debut feature film, and yes, it's doing a little bit of what, uh, well, obviously did it before, what Hereditary did, mixing in psychological elements with, with potential horror elements, and, you know, which way are we going here? But for me, I don't know, I, I found that kid so insanely annoying in this film, and he's meant to be. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. meant to have problems, and and that's why the mum is at wit's end. But he just got to me so badly. I he was what I found horrifying about this movie. None of the shit with the Babadook. I'm just like, eh. <laughs> I never felt sorry for the kid, which you're supposed to. I never felt worried for the kid, which you're supposed to. So the film just didn't work for me, full stop. And I know I'm in the minority, so I can't shit on your choice. Yeah. But uh, yeah, maybe I need to give it another go some other time. And that wasn't about expectations. It was just like I don't, I don't understand why this is working so well for people. But you just explained it. So there you go. I think similar to Tony Collette's performance, it's like Izzy Davis's performance of a woman just losing her mind as a, you know, matriarch of the family or whatever. It's just, there's something about it that sort of rings a tone in me. I mean, I suppose, like, I, I previously was a 45-year-old mother who's, like, that had all these problems <laughs> with kids or something. I don't know. It's somehow, it's something that literally touches something inside of me. And this is what comes out. So, yeah, there you go. With apologies to Essie Davis, who I reckon is no older than 35 in that film, but now I'm going to check that out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she was, what? well, actually, no, you're not far off, to be honest. She was about 43 when that was shot. There you go. I should never guess a woman's age. <laughs> but well, uh, apparently, yeah, what, apparently when you do, you nail it. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So that's The Babadook for you at six. My number six is a film which I think if you missed it at the cinemas, it's never going to be this high for you because this was an event film. As far as I'm concerned, it came with such a unique premise that the people that went... When I saw it, I saw an advanced screening. It was pretty full. Not not absolutely full, but it was reasonably full. It was dead silence throughout the film because that's what the film demanded from you. It's A Quiet Place from debut director John Krasinski last year. Yes. Good choice. Good choice. Uh, the idea of... this is There's very little bloodshed in this movie. Not a lot of people die. It's all tension. And it's all tension based around these creatures have come to Earth or risen from... They never explain whether they're aliens or demons or whatever. There's only supposition about that. They hunt by sound. And if you make a noise, they will find you and basically tear you to pieces. A family has survived because their eldest daughter is deaf and they've all learned sign language. And so we fast forward to 12 months or 15 months after this apocalypse happens and the family is trying to survive in sort of the middle of this rural area of far away from people as possible. And it's amazing the kind of drama that you can wring out of that they're, they're expecting another baby because how the hell sam how the hell do you keep a baby quiet <laughs> you're in the know <laughs> yeah exactly so that for me was the one like i i really enjoyed this movie don't get me wrong i thought it was like you know a pretty sound film and then when i was doing my list i saw it and then i thought to myself she gave birth to a fucking child in an environment where if you make a sound you pretty much fucking die this movie is horseshit <laughs> <laughs> on that basis yeah sure Having seen my wife go through that, I was like, there's no way that woman popped out a kid and didn't immediately get her, like, or even got to the point where she's going to pop out a kid. That was that was the moment that unfortunately knocked it a few pegs down the list for me. So Yeah, you have to buy into that part. I can I can see that. Uh, but I did. I did well enough. And it, 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 what I think was a great scene, as unrealistic as it was mm. compared to real life, it was a great moment in the movie. And then how they how they have planned for having a baby to survive in a noiseless environment was pretty cool as well of course things go pear-shaped but yeah that's my number six quiet place if you haven't seen it in the movies you won't get that that sensation of everyone shushing each other and looking at each other really angrily if they're making any noise whatsoever it was an incredible movie going experience 
I was the arsehole in the screening that brought in a massive box of popcorn and got shushed repetitively by everyone <laughs> around me. I fucking loved it. There, coupled with that, we also had, I think it was Ready Player One playing in the cinema next to us, so we actually had the sound of that coming through the entire Ooh. cinema, and it kind of fucking ruined it a lot for us. Unacceptable. That wouldn't have helped either. Yeah, It, it didn't help, but actually, we've, our local cinema has a couple of underground theatres that have like, you know, 10 seats in them sort of thing. Ended up going and rewatching it so I could get that experience of just watching the film with no sound, but yeah, yeah. Solid choice there, Paul. Thanks, sir. Uh, moves me over to my number five, and this is another film that I watched, and I thought to myself, this isn't really that good, but something about it followed after me. You could say it follows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's the 2014 horror film in which if you have, uh, you basically inherit this curse from a person when you have sex with them. And the curse is that this demon follows after you and kills you. Now, typically in horror films, that demon is, you know, can appear and there's like a ghost and just come out of walls or appear anywhere or whatever or it's something fast moving and it's just out there to kill you not in this case it's an incredibly slow moving demon that no matter where you are on earth it follows you but at like a snail's pace basically so that's the entirety of this film is this girl having this demon following after her and debating to herself whether or not she should go have sex with someone else and get rid of the curse yeah it's uh it's very different this movie that's what i really appreciate about it I could even get my fiance to watch this one. We watched it together and it achieved something that is unusual in a horror film, at least it was when this film was released, and that is you spend much more time watching the background than you do <laughs> yeah. the characters yeah. in the foreground because you're waiting for, is that person behind them walking at them with a purpose? Is that the thing? Because the demon, as you said, sort of takes any form it wants to and it just looks like a human usually. Uh, and you're like, is that person walking? Is that one? Oh, uh, uh. And that's, that's the genius of the movie for me. Obviously, the very strong metaphor of, of sexually transmitted diseases and the like, and that's what it's sort of playing on there. But for me, the, the end fell apart. That's why it didn't make my list. The last sort of 15, 20 minutes of this movie, I'm like, that's it? That's where yeah. we, uh, we arrive at? Yeah, similar to a lot of other horror films, you know, like we've discussed previously, it's just, it's just nailing that ending. For me, I, I enjoyed it. You know, like it was enjoyable. It wasn't amazingly satisfying, but it was enjoyable. I'll put it that way. And there was something about it, like it just, like you're right, like the metaphor for STDs and all that sort of stuff. Like it, and I, I just like the way it skewed that genre. You know what I mean? Like it just took that typical like stalker genre and actually just condensed it to this weird sort of like behavior type thing of just person just following after you and you don't know who it is and you're asking strangers on the street hey can you see that person because you know they can't see the demon but you can see it and shit like that there was just there was enough in there for me to just be like okay you know this is a really fucking good film yeah and i love the idea of doesn't matter where you are like you can jump on a plane they reference this go to the other side of the world it yeah. will come for you. It will just walk. It will just walk across the bottom of the ocean and it will get you eventually. There is no escaping this thing. It's inevitable. And now that I think about it, I guess there's something in there about death as a, exactly. as a theme as well. So, yeah, I understand the choice and it will be on just about every every person's top 10 list. It, it's on my honorable mentions. didn't quite crack it for me. The highlight for me of this film was actually something that happened after it, which was um, I basically <laughs> like I got on because it takes the form of anyone, like literally anyone sort of thing. So I again came home, had a few drinks, watched it, went to bed, and then like it, it tries to scratch to get through doorways and shit like that. So I woke up and heard the sound of scratching, and my wife was overseas, you know, no one living with me at that time. Here's scratching, 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 and I'm like on my window, bedroom window, and this is the second story, <laughs> and I thought to myself. Holy fuck, that fucking thing is outside on the fucking <laughs> edge of the roof, ready to get in. And then literally pulled back the curtains, looked out the windows, and one of my friends was lying on the lawn, throwing rocks at my window. And I said to him, 
are you who you are? And he was like, yes, I am. And I was like, okay, you can't be the demon in your count. <laughs> yes, I am. What, yes, I- did he say, what the fuck? Why are you asking me that, you dickhead? Yeah, he was so drunk. He was like, are you Maddie? And he goes, yes, I am Maddie. And I was like, okay, cool. And then came in and let him in. And he was like, I need somewhere to crash. I'm fucking too drunk. I can't drive home. I was like, sweet ass. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right, cool. Uh, that was your five. My five then is probably the last semi-surprise on my list. Again, one of these other films which some people dug. I don't see too, many, too much hate on this movie, but people didn't appreciate it the way that I did. I didn't see this in the cinemas. I had to wait for a, the digital release. It was around, came out around the time my daughter was born, so I wasn't getting out to the cinema a lot and predates the podcast as well. This is from 2012. It's Scott Derrickson's low-budget horror film, Sinister, starring Ooh. Ethan Hawke. Yes, have good choice, good choice. Yeah, definitely have. Yeah, yeah. Bit of a fan of Scott Derrickson's work, or this this film, basically. Yeah, good choice. Yeah, this one is the most unsettling film on the list as far... This and Hereditary would vie for that title as far as I'm concerned, because it does a lot with a little... It's basically a film about a, a family, a writer, and his family move into this uh, area of the world to do a research on a book, and the house that they're in used to be... The dad doesn't tell... Ethan Hawke doesn't tell his family this, but used to be home to a family that were all murdered or, and committed suicide in, in, a, in a gory way. And it turns out there's this entity out there that is effectively haunting people and forcing them to kill the rest of their family and then themselves. And the way it's unveiled through these old Super 8 reels and they spookily play themselves and stuff like that, it's just, they're really clever. The home videos are disturbing without being, I mean, they are gross and the like, but not as over the top as you might expect and it builds this really great sense of unease all the way through to the revelation about what's actually going on which uh, i liked a whole hell of a lot yeah i completely agree ethan hawk is a fucking really awesome performance as well mm. I'm, I'm not much of an ethan hawk fan but in this he's yeah he legit carries that horror throughout the film he's good yeah he's real good this is the first time i ever noticed uh james ransom who was in it chapter two playing the older version of eddie He's pretty good in this movie as well, and he's literally his na- character's name is Deputy or Deputy So and So. You never get to hear his actual name in the movie, which is kind of cool. <laughs> he plays a good little role as well, and yeah, I just think this film is atmosphere up the way. And if you're a horror film fan, I reckon you'll find a lot to like in this movie. Yeah, exactly. Completely agree. That moves me on to my number four. Now, this is a film that I was talking at the start about. Whether I look at them and I see them as purely or you know predominantly horror films or dominantly horror films or whether they're not this one is a real blend between horror and thriller but i would say it's more of a horror film and imdb agrees with me so that's all i need okay i am going with the 2015 film green room okay yeah it's definitely counted as a horror yeah if you haven't seen it it's basically a punk rock band gets trapped in a secluded venue after they witness a guy get murdered and they basically get sort of locked in this room and said you know we'll deal with you later and then they sort of barricade themselves in there when they realize that they're going to get murdered by the same people that they've just seen murder someone else. It's got Patrick Stewart playing a villain, and that was enough to sell me to want to watch it. Yeah. But as the film goes on, holy fuck. It's out of all these films on this list, and actually out of every film that I've watched in the last 10, 20 years, this is the only film where I was watching it with a friend, and me and we actually had, I looked at him and I was like, do you want to pause this? He's like, yeah, okay. So we paused it. We went outside. We sat on the grass in the sun. We got deep breaths. We went for a walk around the block. It was so exhilarating in terms of what the fuck is going to happen to these people that we honestly felt like we were both about to have like a heart attack. Like it's the most <laughs> visceral reaction okay. I've had in my, in my body from a film in a long time. I don't know what it was about it. It's just there's something about it that just really got me there. 
Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, this is one of those really hyped ones by the time it sort of hit our shores here. And I, I watched it and I liked it just fine, but I was a little bit nonplussed by all the fuss about it. Yes, there's some violent moments and the like, but the story I thought was just eh. And like you say, Patrick Stewart's fun in it. Uh, of course, it stars Anton Yelchin in one of his final roles, which is very sad, I have to say. Yeah, absolutely. He, he was a great talent and that's a, a real shame. But yeah, look, again, the critics totally agree with you. I'm in the minority. I liked it just fine, but, but it didn't come <laughs> close to my list. Have you seen, because um, it's directed by Jeremy Sonia, have, yep. yeah, have you seen his other film, Blue Ruin? That's also very good. In fact, I like that one better. Yeah. And I've also seen his most recent one, which is Hold the Dark on Netflix, which contains a couple of the most amazingly shot scenes. The film doesn't hang together as well as I would like it to, but there's a couple of moments in that movie which are staggeringly awesome. So as an overall, his, uh, his filmography is pretty damn good at the moment. Yeah, they're pretty good. Blue Ruins, a film that I feel is criminally underwatched. I think it's uh, like it's a crime drama. It's pretty bloody awesome. I haven't seen Hold the Dark yet. Heard mixed reviews about it, so I was a bit like, uh, but yeah, no, I'll definitely check that out now. It's worth definitely worth a watch if you like his previous films, and clearly, and clearly you do. But I agree. For me, Blue Ruins, his best film, is lowest budget, sort of scraping together things from an indie perspective. But yeah, it's less of a horror than this one is. Awesome. All right. Um, wow, so far we still only had the one crossover. <laughs> Will this one be one that's on your top three this film contains what i labeled recently on our show as the best trailer of all time it is one of the most spooky films that i've ever seen and it maintains an air of of, of fear through most of its runtime it's james wan's original the conjuring a film which spurned or caused its whole own cinematic universe no crossover again oh wow don't get me wrong, if Vera Farmiga walked in the house right now and asked me to run away with her, I would do it at the drop of a fucking hat. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely love Vera Farmiga. And this one, at some point, was on the list, but it just, yeah, I think it, for me, the reputation of it's been sullied a bit by all the sort of spin offs that have invariably sure. been pretty average at best in some cases and then just rubbish, you know, in other cases. But yeah. I really dig the second one of this film as well. Number two has a couple of the best yes. scary yeah. scenes ever put to film I reckon let alone in this decade but this one overall as a package is it really delivers as far as I'm concerned from the marketing which as I've just mentioned through the performances of Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson and even Lily Taylor and the kids they're all they're all good in this movie every single one of them you care about this family and you don't want to see them put through the paces you really want them to live and that's a big thing for me in a horror film and then the actual scares James Wan is is I have to say a master of horror he is able to wrench everything out of a scene where he wants you to be scared. He doesn't give you what you expect at the exact same moment that you you would, especially as a seasoned horror film fan like we are. He throws enough curveballs to keep you guessing, and, and I really, really appreciate that part of it. And the way it all works out, it's good enough. Like Again, probably the end lets it down a little bit, but in a 112-minute film, it's hard to maintain mm. the fear the whole way through. Excellent. And that moves me on to my number three, which some might say was the best horror film from 2011. It was Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> oh, is that? Oh, okay. Here's the deal. All yes. Right. Yes. Yep. Now, it is from 2011, yes. and it is better, but it got shelved and held over for so long. I didn't get to see this until 2012. Yeah, fair enough. I was living in the UK in 2011, and I actually had the chance to see this at the film at the cinema. And I'm pretty sure it was 2011 that I went and saw it. No, it wouldn't have been. You know why? Because I saw it in the UK in April 2012. Holy shit! I've got it wrong. Yeah. IMDb's lied to me. <laughs> it is. It is definitely. What happened was this was officially released, and I'll bring it up. I'll bring up the Wikipedia now. Yeah. It was officially shown at film festivals All in right. 2011, but it didn't hit 
uh, and I look at now release date uh, in United States was 2012, April 13th, 2012. Oh fuck with ego, I'm full of shit. <laughs> but no, but it, literally looking at it here on Letterbox, it says 2011, and it was held. It, it was filmed actually a couple of years before, from what I understand, just held over for a long time. So I don't know why 2011, even South by Southwest, didn't have it till 2012. But there you are. So yeah, I saw it in April 2012 in the UK as well. I wonder if we were around about the same session, even. There you it might have been. Thought. It might have been. Yeah. Paths might have crossed at some part, uh, at some point before. But uh, yeah, it, it makes sense because I, I remember reading somewhere about how earlier it got filmed because Chris Hemsworth looks very baby faced in it. He does. Incredibly baby-faced. And For some reason, I think there was a change in the company that was going to distribute it or and then it sat on the shelf for two or three years type thing. Oh, yeah, makes sense. Uh, I mean, I, I absolutely love this film. This film for me was almost in that, well, it kind of skews the genre quite a bit. It's almost more of a comedy than a horror. But for me, I mean, like I rewatched it recently just to, you know, shore up my position. I actually watched it at like 2 a.m. last night and it's definitely a horror. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. At uh, the end of the film, it, it has really hor- horrific moments, and then it just goes balls to wall horror in the last thirty minutes or twenty minutes of the film. So there's no question it's smart enough to be a sort of postmodern sort of scream take on the horror genre, mm. and that's why it gets some laughs. And the the Bradley Whitford and um, what's the other guy's name? Richard, Richard Jenkins. Yeah. Richard Jenkins exchanges are always pretty funny in that sort of again officey type of sense. So. Yeah, that's why it gets a few laughs, but no, it's 100% a horror, and it's a great choice. This is on my list. Oh, it's excellent. Up I'd also like to shortly. point out this has got a bit of a New Zealand connection as well. Anna Hutchinson is the blonde bimbo of the five that uh, go to the cabin in the woods, so yeah, yeah, there's the Kiwi connection. All right, didn't know she was a Kiwi, but all right, she's fine. I, I accept that, and uh, well done, New Zealand. <laughs> Yay! Yay us! <laughs> Yay! Okay, very nice choice. My number three is no surprise to anyone that listens to the podcast regularly. Just had its little inferior sequel come out, which was a bit disappointing, and it was the subject of our movie Masturbate last month. I am, of course, talking about It from 2017, directed by Andy Machete. Love this movie to pieces. I know you don't love it that much, Sam. I don't expect this one to be a crossover. You were neutral on it. I was very memory. And now now the debate's been settled. I hate the movie, so there you go. (laughs) Go back and check out last month's bonus episode if you haven't listened to it already. A $35 million film which made $700 million. It managed to appeal to Stephen King fans, critics, and the jaded sort of horror movie goer. Because as much as it's not that terrifying, it's incredibly creepy in places and has some wonderful imagery. Bill Skarsgård is a revelation as Pennywise the Clown. And the screenplay really, really does a great job of being a sort of coming-of-age story for these this group of kids and Carrie, Carrie Fukunaga, the guy who did True Detective Season 1 and Beast of No Nation, his stamp is all over this movie and he is what's missing from Chapter 2, which is mm. partly, I reckon, why Chapter 2 sucks as much as it does. Yeah, the performances are all excellent and the banter between the kids is really, really amusing. So that's why It climbs all the way up here for me. I've watched it three times already and no doubt watch it again, despite the second one, pretty soon. Fair enough. I did rewatch it, obviously, for our debate, just to you know make sure that people that are making points are actually making honest ones. But yeah, like <laughs> it's enjoyable. Like, don't get me wrong, it's very enjoyable. I probably would have it in my top twenty, maybe, maybe squeaking. But yeah, it's it's not high on my list for me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you made that clear at the start, which is why you volunteered to be the MC slash uh, middle ground person. Exactly. Uh, moves me over to my number two. Now, we're talking about debut uh, directorial offerings, and this one is the one for me that, again, had a bit of a look, 
thought to myself, is this a horror film? Is this a thriller film? So an interview with the director who said he set out to make a horror film. Unfortunately, it turned into a socio-political thriller. It's Get Out by Jordan Peele. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. Again, critics love the shit out of this one. And you're not a fan? I am. I liked it just oh, fine. Okay. But I came to it very late and after people had raved about it for so long and I went, uh, yeah, it's all right. It's pretty good, but uh, not that good. Yeah, for me, it, I don't know what it is. It's, for me, it just touched something in me. <laughs> God, that sounds fucking weird. But uh, <laughs> starring the aforementioned Bradley Whitford, which makes it into two of my top three. Good on you, Bradley. Mm. Uh, yeah, there was just something about it. There was just something about it that was very, you know, like of the time and says a little bit about society. And I think that's that's the thing for me is like when horror is at its best is when it's saying something about society because it's got a little bit of free range to be able to do that. It doesn't have to suffer the confines of action movies or drama movies and all that sort of stuff that get tied into their own sort of narrow little boxes that have got to stick to. It can have the free range to say a little about society, and that's that's when the best horror gets made. And this, for the, me, just did, you know. And then the level of symbolism in this film was the other thing. Like, I, I love rewatchability and I, of a film, and this has it in spades. You can go back, yeah, you know, there's yep. scenes where she's, like, eating Fruit Loops without the milk, and you just see the Fruit Loop bowl and the milk, and she's not mixing colours with white, and you're like, oh, my <laughs> God. And then, the, like, the other symbolism, well, spoiler alert again for anyone who hasn't seen this film, but... When everyone shows up, they all show up in black limos, so it's white people inside black bodies, and you're like, whoa, this is... Yeah, that's clever. Yeah, this is like, this is phenomenally clever, and there was, yeah, something about it too, I mean, like, you're sort of moving away from that guy gets lost out in the bush, and it's a whole bunch of redneck bloody hillbillies that kill him sort of thing, like, this is actually saying, hey, liberals, you can be bad guys too sort of thing, and this is quite clever in that way as well, it was just, yeah, there was something about it, just, I, I just, yeah, I just really dug it. Yeah. And I think, as I said, just about everyone would agree with you. It's a it's a pretty stunning debut. I didn't think Us this year was as good. But if I hadn't expected it to be the second coming, I, I like the mystery of this film. I like what's going on here. That what, what And when it all plays out, like, yeah, okay, that's cool. And there is a bit of cathartic violence in the last act and it doesn't end the way that I would have thought a typical horror film was going to, to end, which credit for that. Not really doing a good job of saying why it didn't impact on me as much, but yeah, I guess I just I was expecting so much more because of how everyone raved about it. So, are you familiar with the second ending that he shot, which was that? No, uh, he was debating whether to do it or not. Which was basically the cops showing up at the house to find you know Daniel Kaluuya's over the body of his now ex girlfriend Rose, and the cops basically just jump out and shoot him. And that was yeah, the yeah, that's exactly the direction I thought it was going in. I thought it was going to be a Night of the Living Dead sort of throwback type moment but i guess maybe that's why they changed it and didn't go that way won't, won't spoil it for those who haven't seen it although i imagine anybody who's listening to this podcast has seen it yeah so. exactly cool all right well but my number two is a little bit anticlimactic because it is the cabin in the woods like you i rewatched most of it i haven't quite didn't quite get to finish it uh two nights ago i watched most of it again and just i'm so impressed by drew goddard and you know joss whedon had a big hand in writing this as well it's so smart it's so fun all the things we said and it has a absolutely awesome ending which probably not many people would see coming the answer to the what's going on in this film the thing that's sort of for me the most as well that i forgot to mention is that they allude to all the different like you know horror villains type thing and then i thought yeah. to myself man it'd be fucking awesome if this film shows all of them and it does and that was the yeah. that was the moment for me i was like okay yeah yeah i'm definitely going to remember this film get you there in the end yeah nice pick well of course it is because we both had it in our top three so yeah. that's so far that is the film that's winning unless we have the same number one i wonder if we do i wonder if we do i know you're a fan of this film and okay i'm kind of worried that as soon as i'm saying it you're gonna go oh fuck i forgot about that film i don't think you're going Uh-oh. to 
Uh, it's a foreign film. Yep. Yes. Is it Train to Busan? It is. Yes. <laughs> there we go. There we yeah. go. Rewatched that last night, and okay, I rewatched this and Get Out, and I was like, I need to decide between these two films which one is the better film. And Train to Busan is just fucking insane how well they take a very well-worn, boring genre that is zombie films and just make it cool again. It's yep. ridiculously scary, ridiculously well-worn tropes, throw them out the window, but at the same time, there's the slightly overweight guy in there that you love that, you know, sacrifices himself. There's the cathartic guy that's a complete arsehole that has his, you know, emancipation and realizes how much of a dick he is. There's actually decent childhood acting in it. Oh, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> There's just so much in there to cling on to, and it's just such a good film. You said it all. Well, you said a lot of it, and <laughs> it's such a magnificent movie. I struggle to kind of put into words how much of an impact it's had. It's emotional. I challenge anyone to watch this movie through to the end and, and not have a tear rolling down their cheek. Maybe just a single manly one in some cases. <laughs> <laughs> but the characters are fun. The For its budget, it, it really it's a really slick production. What... The director is, I'm trying to think of his name, off the top of it, Yang Yon Sang-ho is able to do in what is mostly a film on a train. Yeah. The camera movements, the way that he, he sets up both how cramped like it is, but then the way the camera moves through that area is is fantastic. But then it's the threat, these zombies and, and the characters that you come to care about. Like by half an hour to go, in fact, longer than that, the, you mentioned the guy that sacrificed himself. He's an awesome character, and when he goes, I'm like, well, everybody's fair game in this movie. They, this is a Korean film. They could actually even kill the kid off, and I was really worried that was going to be the case in certain points as well. And I don't think you mentioned him, but it has the villain guy, the character you love to hate, who, wow, he's one of the most reprehensible characters ever <laughs> depicted on screen as far as I'm concerned. He nails at that particular businessman. There's this commentary on class as well in places, and I've talked about this film in so many different places over the last couple of years it was my favorite film of that year it's destined to be on my top 10 of all films of 2010s that's how much i love this movie it only has one minor quibble i have with it and that's how they get the zombies through or into the crowded place at one point one character makes a decision which i don't believe for a second that she would but other than that as far as i'm concerned and a little bit of ropey cgi at times it's a perfect film and deserves its place as our combined choice for the best horror film of the 2010s. Oh, exactly. Uh, I'm totally with you there. That that one scene that you're talking about where a decision, where the character makes that decision, that was the one moment where I was like, I'm going to forgive this. I'm going to forgive this yeah. due to yeah. the 99.99999% fucking recurring percent of the other film, which has just been absolutely, like, absolutely amazing. There's a couple of other parts of it as well that you're like, I'm surprised they haven't done this before. And there's that one zombie sort of helicopter shot where it's just like a guy recording people, like a guy on his bike or, you know, like skateboard sort of thing. He's recording a video and you see a helicopter go flying over top of a whole bunch of zombies hanging on to the edges of the helicopter. And the helicopter goes like spinning around, spinning around. And they all start falling off, land on the cars, and then get up and just start mauling into other people. And I was like, okay, that is phenomenal. Like that is such a clever idea. Surprised I haven't seen it before. There's lots of amazing touches. And I guess that's the, the real beauty of, of foreign film. We're so used to the Hollywood system or even the English language system, which all apes the Hollywood system in most cases. Mm. When they when you get it something from a different country, it can really throw you a, a few curveballs and, and it's pretty damn awesome. So, yeah, there he is. That's our best of the 2010s. Train to Basan would take it out with, I guess, Cabin in the Woods being our second combined choice. Excellent. And then after that, the only other crossover we had was Hereditary. 
Not a bad bunch of films there overall. Nothing too offensive other than Final Destination 5, <laughs> but eat a dick, Sam. Yawn. <laughs> uh, do, you want to, do you want to mention really quickly any of your honourable mentions that you haven't had a chance to, to spruik? Yeah, I mean, I've sort of sort of mentioned a couple of the other ones. I really enjoyed The Witch, uh, the film that's set in the 19... Oh, it was in the uh, 1700s. And, uh, I hated that movie. You hated, hated it? it. <laughs> yeah, oh. it was not for me at all. Oh, I just like seeing um, the guy out of bloody Finchy out of the office just trying to do this... 1700s bloody dialogue and all this other shit. I was like, oh, that's yeah, that's interesting. For me, yep. it was like it was yeah, quite good. A couple of other ones. Don't breathe. Really enjoyed that. Yep, that's good. Uh, it's sort of playing on the disability genre again. You know, they break into a house of a guy that's blind, and you know, if they make any sound, he comes after them, sort of thing. Didn't mind the Evil Dead remake, the 2013. Yeah, that, not too bad. That was I agree. Right. But my love for the for the original series is too high to really get behind that one. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. And uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, I thought was a pretty good thriller, but not really too much of a horror film, so that sort of got bumped off. And uh, yep. that Ouija board, uh, Origin of Evil, the sequel, was actually really good, considering the first one was fucking absolute pants. The second one yeah. was, yeah, like really quite decent. But uh, yeah, that was about it, really. Uh, other ones we haven't mentioned. Your Next was very close to my list. Oh, yes. You... Sorry, that was on my list as well. Yeah, yeah. That was a good slasher film, which uh, has a yeah, just very well shot and put together the woman in black i don't know i, I wanted to rewatch that film because at the time i watched it i was genuinely like oh there's some real scares here there's some, this is like jump scares done well so i wouldn't mind checking that one out again with that's with daniel radcliffe from 2012 yeah i struggled i didn't manage to finish that one i was like yeah okay yeah, yeah and the last one which I, I think i'm the only person in the world that really liked these two films the collection the sequel to the collector which is basically aliens in terms of Survivor, the first film, goes back with a bunch of mercenaries to the place where he was kept captive by this serial killer and they have to work their way through a whole bunch of Saw-esque traps to get to him. Holy shit. Haven't heard of it. That's uh, on my list to watch tonight. Yeah, Go see the first one first, The Collector, yep. and then it's The Collection. Oh, so nice. some people love them, like me. Other people hate them, think they're just low-budget trash. So just be <laughs> warned. Excellent. There we are. That's our top horror films of the 2010s. It was uh, a lot of fun. Thank you, Sam, to talk horror with a person who appreciates horror. I don't get to do it very often. <laughs> Fuck you, Wayne. <laughs> Eat a dick, Wayne. Grow some balls and watch some horror movies, bro. It's not that bad. They're just movies, man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they are just movies. All right, Sam. So for your listeners that don't know where to find me and for my listeners or our listeners that don't know where to find you, we'll start with you. Tell everybody what about where you can get to movie reviews and twenty Qs and why they should listen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yep. So our podcast is that just movie reviews and twenty Qs. We take a film and ask twenty questions about it. Ask ten questions that uh, can apply to any movie, and then we ask you know sort of personal questions that arose in us during that film. And yeah, that's basically it. There's not really that much in the way of reviewing. We just like to take the piss out of movies and inject ourselves into them, and then think of uh, like maybe different outcomes of that film. So we might. Well, th- th- I mean, that's the idea of the what we're trying to do is basically try and, you know, sort of get there in terms of like film criticism, but at the same time do it at, like a way that everyone can understand. So we might ask what flavor pizza is this film or which character from this film needs to get laid or, you know, how would you put Nicolas Cage into this film? You know, just generic stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, 
oh, I forgot a Nicolas Cage's Mandy. That was another shortlist film. But uh, okay, yeah, sure, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, you can find us anywhere that you can find podcasts. Uh, just search out movie reviews in, and we'll probably be the first one to pop up. But if you type movie reviews in twenty with just the two zero, like in the numbers, uh, you should be able to find us. And you should if you if you're a countdown listener and you haven't listened to movie reviews in twenty Qs, absolutely give them a shot. It's a different format to any movie review show, and it's a lot of fun. No, uh, I've had a ball whenever I've been on and uh, listen every week. So please do check out Sam and Stacey and crew uh, when they when they get back to recording regularly, which I guess will be a little bit of time yet. Yeah, yeah, we're on a bit of a hiatus at the moment. We've got a Joker episode coming up and we'll probably do Jojo Rabbit, which is, of course, Taika Waititi, famous New Zealander, one of his films. We'll probably do those two and then be back with a vengeance in 2020. But uh, yeah, we'll take this time to thank Paul and Wayne again for coming on our episode on Basic Instincts. That was a hell of a blast and had quite a few people, quite a few of our regular listeners actually message me and say that was one of their favourite episodes. So there you go, Paul. Awesome. That was a lot of fun, that that episode. Thank you for the invite. And likewise, our show for for the movie reviews and 20 cures, uh, it's just this. It's just Wayne and I can down a list from 10 to 1. There's a lot more swearing and bad <laughs> uh, bad blood between the two of us because we are best mates. We've known each other for a long time. So it's, look, it's all in jest. We all walk away at the end of the day happy. You know, sometimes it might not sound that way. Uh, we have a lot of fun with it. And we're getting a bit more experimental with our topics and the like the further we go because we're somewhere in the order of coming up on well, four and a half years now. So... You have to sort of think outside the box a little bit. That said, we'll have a bunch of these best of the decade episodes towards the end of the year, if that's more your jam than the experimental stuff like top 10 films that taught you something about dating, which is what we're doing this week and that kind of stuff. And you can find us on all places you can find good podcasts. So search The Countdown, Movie and TV Reviews. Yeah, guys, it's a great, great podcast. And I think the the problem with this one is me and Paul have the same sensibilities when it comes to film and respecting each other's decisions. Whereas Wayne is a polar opposite. He has no sensibilities when it comes to films or life in general, maybe. But <laughs> And I think that's the biggest problem. Though. And I love the fact that you two have such polar opposite opinions about films. You know, if some man can say that The Saint is one of his most fucking rewatchable films of all time, or that Saving Private Ryan is the seventh best war film, that sort of oh gives you a God. bit of a hint about how unhinged this guy is. I love you, Wayne, but uh, yeah. Wonderful description, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> and look, we're going to do a lot more of these, I reckon, over the coming times. We'll, we'll hear more of Sam on our show, and, and hopefully we'll get a guest on theirs. But also just these bonus episodes, which are a lot of fun to record when we, we can't find a way to, to squeeze into regular episodes. So... Look forward to, to more of this stuff. Yeah. Hey, just as a bonus, what would you say would be the worst horror film of the 2010s? Off the top of your head. Well, I can tell you what the worst horror film of the 2010s is because I watched it about three days ago. It is a direct-to-video piece of shit which has some of the worst acting ever put together, one of the worst premises ever constructed for a horror film, and the execution is a three, sorry, a year three with a camera could make a scarier <laughs> film. It's called American Poltergeist from 2015, and... I, I, I watched it aghast. It's almost like it almost comes all the way around to being so bad it's good like The Room. Oh, yeah. But this film is just, it's a failure on every conceivable level. You have to, it's on Netflix, at least it is here in Australia. So check it out if you're brave and just have a few beers or drinks in you and just prepare to go to town on this absolute piece of shit. Excellent. Off the top of my, what about you? Oh, off the top of my head, that um, Truthful Deer. That movie was oh. fucking dreadful. Actually, don't do it. Don't do it anymore. Maybe we'll come back and do another bonus yes. on the, the ten worst, and we'll, we'll we'll limit it to we'll limit it to like cinematically released horror films, so that people might actually have seen them. Oh yeah, absolutely. Keen as absolutely keen. All right, cool. All right, well, thanks so much, Sam, for coming on today, and uh, thanks everyone for tuning into this bonus episode. Uh, you'll hear more of us both very soon. Yes, thank you.